Hey guys, how are you? It's Liam Novell here, and this is the Posh Cockney Podcast Hospitality News, brought to you by the Industry Titans Season 2. I hope you've missed me because I've got some incredible titans that I'm going to be bringing to you on this season. Today, we speak to Michael Kill, who's part of the NTIA, and he's been one of the most influential people during this lockdown period. And we're going to discuss Super Saturday and what's next for the hospitality industry. Hope you enjoy it, guys. Michael Kill, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? Uh, very well, Liam. Thank you. Very well. Very well. How has uh, life in lockdown treated you? Uh, I, I, I've got kids, so it's been a bit of a challenge. The uh, the school holiday bit has uh, has definitely pushed it. We we work from uh, so from home a lot of the time, and uh, it, it's yeah, it's been quite. I mean, we've got a three year old, uh, an eleven year old, and the three year old uh, obviously it's playtime. So uh, that's that's where it's been the biggest challenge. So uh, it's a bit of handoff. Uh, I think the first Sky interview, I uh, Sky News interview I did was. Uh, peppered with my three-year-old screaming to to speak to daddy so uh, you know that's a reality check for lockdown for you I'm sure well I've seen so many of those videos of kids jumping in on the uh, crashing people's videos and when there's when they're live but they seem to be they seem to get the most coverage actually don't they well, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> uh, my dad, I mean, my, my, you know, I'm lucky my wife and my son are a little bit older and uh, my son's a little bit older, not my wife, or I'll get myself in real trouble. <laughs> um, it is, uh, you know, they're, they're on it, so they know what's going on and, and uh, they manage it pretty well. But uh, my three-year-old is like a ball of energy, bless him, and he's, uh, he just wants to be heard and wants to talk and do all the things that children want to do at that age. And doesn't understand that Danny's got to talk to people about industry. Uh, I'm sure he will later down the line. <laughs> well, uh, I'm in the same boat. I've got a three-year-old daughter and she's often trying to get in on the interviews. Yeah, um, I know. <laughs> let, let's jump straight into it, Michael. Um, so can you tell us about your hospitality journey and how it all began? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was working in, uh, I, I came away from a university degree, doing a physiotherapy degree. Um, and uh, I did it for a year, didn't really work out for me, came back um, to the South Coast where I was living at the time with my parents, uh, and this all started by getting a bar job in uh, a venue called Fifth Avenue, which was in Southsea at the time, which was your sort of atypical sort of ritzy, I suppose, a long time ago, um, and worked behind the bar, did the floor, then started working on the door, and uh, and then I got interested in promoting, and uh, I started helping some of the house guys there. I think Rocky and Diesel were one of the first uh, sort of events we put on. Uh, then I did some sort of Thursday nights with a guy called Rob Searle, um, uh, who was, you know, did a lot of work um, in terms of house, house music, etc. at the time. Um, and then I, I came away, I was a promotions manager in Bournemouth for a while. Um, uh, under the old uh, sort of, I suppose it was Rank Leisure, I think, at the time. And then it sort of was bought by Northern, then Luminar Leisure. And I worked my way up from, you know, up to a, a general manager. Um, and then I went into marketing at head office. Um, and then I, I went from there. I, I was doing uh, uh, drum and bass events. I was doing hospitality. Um, did a few Ram Records things. Worked with Circus Records as, as they sort of came through. Uh, doing a lot of work with uh, Obi from Echo Location, with people like Chase Estate as Nero, etc., as they were coming up. 
Um, and then I, uh, I, I went off and, and uh, did some work uh, uh, in my own venue that I had in Eastbourne, just outside of Brighton. Um, and then from there, I, I had a sort of uh, a load of sort of different roles. I was I was uh, running the venue in uh, just outside of Brighton, and I was also doing had a, a venue in Oxford in Cowley, uh, a big live venue um, where where we sort of took it from nothing up to sort of two or three nights a week, but really challenged the O2 Academy down the road. Um, then I, I went off and became a ops director for a, a group. Um, and then uh, I, I went to, from there, uh, went off to University of East Anglia, where I was a commercial director for the student union, which 5,000 capacity space over there and worked um, a lot. And then I, I came back to here. So, uh, but yeah, been all over the country, did a lot of openings, um, was a promoter, done festivals, um, you know, worked, worked with a lot of people. I did a lot in the, the sort of UK garage scene for years. I used to, uh, if you remember Time and Envy in Romford. Yeah, um, I know, yeah. Well, the Thursday night was sort of my garage night. So the likes of EZ and Norris Windross and people like that were all my sort of residents on rotation with Chris Creed. And, you know, we did really well up until the point that garage got a bit raucous and, you know, it sort of changed and grimed and crews and things like that came in. And so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had quite a checkered, checkered... Yeah interest both both corporate commercial but also very music led i've all, always had a huge passion for music um and i know when i was working in the corporate world part of the reasons why i left was the fact that they weren't they couldn't uh uh they just had no vision um i mean i was talking to them when when pendulum was sort of really breaking through and i was saying to them listen you you've got these these drum and bass acts are going to become live music sensor you know they're going to move forward and you know, we were getting Pendulum, uh, you know, the full band for like 500 quid doing DJ sets and they couldn't see it. And, you know, years later when I came away, they were phoning me, talking to me about Chasing Status and Nero and all these sort of things and um, and not not being given the opportunity because they just no had vision, no vision in, in terms of investing in music, which was yeah. a challenge. Um, so I got frustrated and came away with it and went and did my own thing and made, made my success out of doing events and, a lot of the time it was going head to head with the venues that I used to work for. So it was quite funny clearing them out on a Saturday night thinking that their, uh, you know, their Sharon and Tracy sort of moment was, was, was going to, was going to win over. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been exciting. It's been a roller coaster, but, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Biggest thing in the world is standing outside a venue that, you know, you've brought a load of people to and they're queuing down the road and they're, you know, and the next day you're getting texts like, when's the next one? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to get a buzz out of something, then that's that's definitely what I would thrive on. It's that, it sounds like you miss those days a little bit. Yeah, I do. I mean, it's, it's like you say, I mean, I, I'm 47 years old now. I've got children, you know, um, going in and my, my obsessive nature, I think is the way I'd put it, going and standing in the middle of the high street, um, I think I'm one of those old school promoters that I, I didn't trust anybody unless I did it myself or, you know, and, and you can't do everything. And the fact of the matter is, is I was very much, if I've got 5,000 flyers to give out in the old days, and I know flyers aren't as big a thing now, but, you know, I don't want to give a flyer to someone who doesn't want the flyer. I'd rather give 5,000 flyers to individuals who want to read it or want to use them. So yeah, um, I was quite particular with the way I did things, but, you know, it worked and it created a success. So I can't argue with it. Um, it it's, it, 
yeah. I, I miss it. I do miss it. I mean, it, it's the buzz and feeling of, of, you know, getting people together and, you know, putting DJs on and making a night work. It, it's phenomenal. But in the same respect, you know, you, you're not really a promoter until you've lost your own money. And yeah, uh, sure. a few times as well. So, uh, <laughs> <on repeat. laughs> so does that bring us to where you are now uh, at NTIA? Yeah, I mean, uh, listen, the NTIA was uh, an opportunity to step away from operations, but still have a massive influence on the on the industry. Um, it was started by a guy called Alan Miller uh, about six years ago. The premise was based around um, some challenges, particularly in East London, uh, where police, uh, a particular chief superintendent, had highlighted the only way that they can reduce crime is by... Um, reducing the amount of venues or closing venues um as, as you know <laughs> almost as good as boris johnson's uh you know we're not going to close you but please don't go to pubs bars and restaurants in the hope that people are going to ignore him probably yeah. um and and you know i've sort of moved forward developed i worked in the background for quite a period of time um uh, alan has always been a ball of energy uh he's now uh stepped away and and doing a lot of work um outside of this um, and he's got his own projects in terms of film etc and he's based in New York so plus he's got a, a young son that he wants to go and, and do things with so from from that perspective it kind of allowed a, a nice transition um, we've we've gone through you know we've changed the board quite dramatically we've got some really really proactive music focused industry orientated people like uh, Obius uh, Seeker from Echolocation, Professor Fiona Meesham from Liverpool University, who um, people like Mike Grieve from Subclub in Glasgow, um, uh, Lisa Lashes or Lisa Rose Wire, uh, the DJ, she's on the board, Norris Windross on the board. So we've got a really, you know, a vibrant group of board members who are keen to drive this industry forward in the right way with the, the vehicle that's the NTIA. So, you know, given that opportunity to be able to mould and shape the NTIA in a way that I felt uh, had the biggest impact was was a massive piece for me. So it's 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 been very exciting. The last sort of two and a half years have definitely been testing, but I think the last three months um, have really sort of, it's been an education for me. Um, and it's been very beneficial in terms of the NTIA because I think it's been allowed to show its value. Um, uh, and, and, and I think we've represented ourselves very well. Still a lot of work to do, but we've represented ourselves very well. I mean, from from me looking in, you, you've been one of the most influential people during this this time for uh, people in the industry, especially in the nighttime uh, sector. Um, how do you summarise what's happened to our industry in the last three months? I mean, try. I mean, we might be here all day, but you know, try try and summarise what what's happened and and uh, your your opinion. It's interesting. I did an Institute of Licensing uh, keynote um, to just under 150 licensing officers. Um, and they asked me the same question. Can you give us an overview of the industry? And I said, it's almost like the, uh, the five stages of grief. Hmm denial bargaining bargaining acceptance etc um uh, you know if if you think about it um we watched uh, a lot of things happen internationally almost with a denial that we wouldn't see the level that we've seen today um unprepared unaware um you know possibly in the background thinking that we would never you know see our government make 
you know the, the steps that they've made um so in in terms of our industry uh, it, it was almost a bit of a shock we, we we had a bit of a we were sat sort of uh, comforted by the fact that we were not a third world country and and potentially we had the systems in place to deal with and i think what's come about is we've realized how vulnerable we are um uh, you know, moving on from there, we've also realised how difficult it is and how financially vulnerable we are in in terms of our product base. Um, but I can also take a lot from this in terms of two things more than you know that I I think have been massive communication between the industry as in, in terms of all parts, whether you're a sector festival, whether you're a, a nightclub bar. Uh, has been, you know, is has increased exponentially mm-hmm. across all those different types, which is really, really positive. And I, I wouldn't want to lose that. Um, now we've gained that sort of position, and it's definitely discussions that are happening in the background. Uh, and the other thing is, is in terms of the government departments, from Bays to DCMS to Home Office, they're actually learned. They've learned more about our industry in the last three months than they could ever have done in the time that they would sit dormant not listening um and they've had to take account of some of the vulnerabilities um had to listen to sector trade bodies and and we've been a a reliance you know so um i think with those two things as a positive in a very negative sort of you know uh, environment uh, has been a huge challenge um the other element to this is it's the frustrating bit I, if you remember back when the first budget was released and everyone was like we're just not going to survive this if you're going to end up locking us down um you know we lobbied very hard to get things like you know support for staff grants etc the challenge that we had with it was very drip fed mm. Uh, it was almost like we'd stamp our feet and a little bit more would come out, uh, you know, stamp a bit harder and something else would come out. And and I don't think that should have happened. I think what we should have done is at least try to create some sort of roadmap. Um, and still today where, you know, while pubs and restaurants are open, uh, you know, the reality of, of um, you know, the opening weekend is you've got thousands of people who have been socially starved and we've seen that through illegal raves popping up here there and everywhere um that are looking to come out and uh, and be an active part in what's going on in terms of pumps and restaurants but bear in mind that probably only 50 percent of those venues are opening yeah most of them are deciding not to go past midnight just to secure you know just to be able to open and test the systems and they're all running at about 50 percent of capacity so it's almost like um the worrying part here is this launch um, is, you know, we, we've, we've got to be careful that we don't over, you know, over commit, I suppose, is the way. And a Saturday night was always a dangerous commitment anyway. So, um, so I, I think that the challenges are still there. We've got massive things with regard to landlords, which are still up in the air. I mean, you know, uh, the, the government trying to say to the industry, look, there's a code of conduct, all please, no, please pay nicely. It's just not working. Mm-hmm. You know, throwing the can down the road in terms of, you know, staving off the debt action from landlords only means that people are two quarters down the line rather than just yeah. one. So, you know, everyone's considering how long is this going to happen, you know, go on for what is the roadmap? When are we going to reopen? And if we can't reopen, allow us the opportunity to plan to either, you know, exit what we're doing or, you know, plan financially and allow our staff to understand, you know, there's no point in releasing things as they've done 10 days before you're due to open on the 4th of July. There's a lot of people just can't move that quickly. 
uh, and, and their buildings are not set up for it and they, they potentially need to to do some work on them so yeah a bit 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 of poor show really in terms of the government and it's not like it hasn't been co communicated i mean you can't make it any clearer so yeah, no, you, you're 100%. I agree with everything you said there. Um, I mean, tomorrow's is is meant to be Super Saturday. Um, you know, it's been billed as that in the papers. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Do you think there's going to be thousands of people um, in in London, or, you know, hitting hitting bars and beer gardens? Or do you think, which is what I think, is it might actually be a bit more, bit more of a mellow affair. I don't think people um, are going to be rushing out the door just yet because they want to see what, you know, it's for one it's difficult to even get a space because you have to pre-book and then you've got all the other areas where you know leaving your name and address and if, this is alien for lots of people and i think it you know i think they want to sort of see they want to see what happens before they start rushing out and you know joining up with friends what's your thoughts uh, i i think this weekend's going to be a learning curve for everyone including the regular the police and the local authorities uh, are in the same boat boat as the public same boat as the operator the, the the public are not sure what they're you know what the experience is going to be like the operator are, are trying to do their best to mitigate any risk but you know it's all all a bit of a uh, sort of finger in the wind let's see how we go um there's still a massive amount of questions between the government guidance legislation um and the expectation from local authorities and police because there are there's a um there's all <laughs> i mean we've we've had a, an immense amount of cases where people you know you've got licensing officers saying no this is these are the these are the law when their guidance is um i mean we've we've had to you know work with a team of barristers um who have been trying to dispel some of these issues and clearly highlight that guidance is guidance and legislation is legislation uh, while we've got police officers and licensing officers saying things like you can only have 30 people in a building which contradicts you know guidance and legislation you can't play music which is not right either um so you know you've <laughs> you've got a, a lot of people very confused with a framework that is very loose and very gray area but you know it, we've had a load of people say oh no it's great it's because it's very flexible but flexibility it's great for operators because we can work around it. But when it comes to licensing and policing, they want structure and they want black and white. Yeah. And that's where it falls down because all you're doing is allowing them to make up the gaps, uh, which is what we're finding at the moment. It's been a massive, massive challenge. Um, and we've recently done a big survey on it. I mean, it, it, <laughs> um, you know, most people out there, and I think, I think it was like 51% of venues were not going to open. Uh, and of that, 65% uh, of them were the late bars and nightclubs that weren't going to open. Um, uh, I think only 30% of pubs are not going to open, pubs and restaurants are not going to open. And they're all around financial viability um, and the fact that they're not able to get ready for COVID. But a lot of people are sat there going, you know what, I'm going to hold fire and see how the first week goes. Yeah see what i can take in terms of learning um similar with the retail sector as you can appreciate the last thing we want is a load of people taking pictures of crowded spaces within clubs but you know bars or pubs because it just it puts out the wrong message um, yeah. and it's almost like the primark message when retail opened so you know we've, we've <laughs> i'm i'm in two camps i've seen the the bookings for venues have been have sold out very very quickly, particularly in main cities. 
Um, and I've seen the requirement for spaces in some of the most popular venues um, go off the charts. I mean, one venue I know uh, who, who have been very, very, you know, on point in terms of their risk assessment. So they're, they're allowing three, 300, 350 people in, but they've had 25,000 people try to get into that. So, so as you can appreciate, that suggests a very, very different perspective. Mm. I think the worry we have is if all of these pubs and restaurants close early, where are people going to go? Are we going to end up having some, you know, house parties and things like that? Potentially people go out into the streets. Um, you know, we're asking people to be sensible, but it's just, it's not easy, um, you know, given the circumstances of, like you say, 50% of that, that capacity being reduced in terms of opening cultural spaces or pubs, restaurants, etc. And then we're talking about a very limited capacity for people to take an active part. And I know there have been sittings, like two hour spaces for people. To, but I mean, you know, if you're a hundred capacity pub in the middle of Westminster and uh, your, your social distancing only allows 30 people in, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, those people who want to come in, they're just, you know, they're going to get frustrated. So um, I think it's going to be a test for everybody. The staff are going to be under an immense amount of pressure. And that's why we're calling for people to make sure that, you know, they're considerate in terms of this weekend in particular. Um, and I know there, is, there has been some irresponsible sort of tweeting. I know the Treasury put a tweet out saying, go out, grab a beer and, and then retracted it. Um, I've seen Sheffield Council do something else talking about the only winner out here is coronavirus. And you're, if you start huddling and, there's, there's been some real sort of odd messaging from some of the councils locally. Mm. Now, even the Treasury have sort of, you know, they've got some things wrong. We need to slowly attach ourselves to this, grow safely, uh, make sure the staff and customers are safe. Um, and, 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 you know, let, let's test the water. But, you know, I, I just want to, most of the thing is, is that let's just urge the police and the, the licensing officers and EHO to be realistic. You know, don't uh, go out there with an enforcement head looking to close venues because that's one of the biggest concerns. And I know the barristers that have been working with us, the likes of Sarah Clover, um, uh, Philip Colvin, and these people are, are all concerned that Section 19, which are closure notices, are going to sprout up where police officers are going to take the EHO, or the guideline element, as gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's that's where the challenges are. I mean, we, there's there's a lot to take in. We're not going to get it right. The police and licensing officers are not going to get it right. But this weekend is about you know us us bedding bedding in and allowing each other to just feel our way. And then you know people that are being silly operationally, I can understand. But we can't control all customer behaviour. You know, we can only do what we can do. And you know, it's almost like they've set it up as a New Year's Eve, but yeah. with off the capacity. I mean. <laughs> It's crazy, isn't it? It's like, well, I'm going to invite 10,000 people, but there are only 500 spaces. Yeah. Don't worry. I hope it goes all right for you, but everyone be sensible. And you're like, come on, guys, let's let's just be realistic here. You know, this is the reason why these illegal raves are popping up is because they're, they're, you know, they're socially starved. People want to get out, especially the youngsters. I mean, the people that believe that they're not vulnerable um, in terms of age groups, um, you know, they're sat there saying, you know, I, I don't know why I'm still being housed. They're, they're looking at the stats and there are so many different stats out there. It's ridiculous. And everyone's just, 
you know, particularly the millennials, they're, they're all sat there going, right, listen, enough of this. I want to get out. I want to socialize. I want to meet my friends. You know, I've had enough of my mum and my sister and all the other bits that go along with it. So, you know, they just want to be able to express themselves. And if we're not careful, you know, the, the worrying bit is there is going to be this mainstay of illegal raves. There always has been, don't get me wrong, mm. but I think it can be, uh, there's there's going to be an extension of those coming out that potentially could affect the nighttime economy in one. But I also think the nighttime economy has a, uh, uh, an out of that, that is an outlet for those people as well. So will you be going out tomorrow? Uh, I'm going to be watching very carefully. Um, I, I've got a few phone calls that uh, I know I'm probably going to get. And my, my number has been passed around to a load of people just in case they do have issues. And, We've, we've got um, some legal uh, uh, sort of support in the background just in case we do have any issues out there. Uh, we did a big mail shot this morning, which was all about making sure that everyone understood what the requirements were, where the guidelines were, where they, they can be and where they can't be um, in terms of legal position. Um, so it's just preparing everyone, but everyone's doing their own individual RA. Every site's different. So, you know, you there are going to be mistakes. There's no two ways about it, but you know, people are prepared, nervous, but prepared. Interestingly enough, some of the people that are most confident in terms of venues are really nervous. Yeah. And, uh, that's, uh, that really sort of stands, gives you an idea of the position and the tentativeness of this week as much about licensing and, and police and things coming down on them and, and what the expectation is because the guidance has been so gray that there it's almost like, you know, you get the feeling that I think a lot of the police officers and licensing and definitely the Met have, have quite had a quite a pragmatic approach. They've not been really enforcement led. So what they've turned around and said is, look, you know, focus on licensing. As long as people are taking active steps to mitigate the risk, you know, we're all in this learning position. But, you know, there are a lot of um, police uh, and licensing up and down the country that are being very enforcement led. I mean, Bristol City Council were saying that uh you know there was no music at all could not be any music at all um and we had to intervene through uh a barrister to give them the guidance and let them understand or otherwise they were gonna you know they were talking about 30 people maximum in a, in a premises and you know um no music at all and and we had to get involved and give them the clarity centrally so that they could release the shackles somewhat wow. uh, so it's, it's that, that sort of work that goes on in the background that people don't see in terms of uh, particularly the NTIA and some of the other trade bodies that are fighting to make sure people have actually got a chance to trade. Yeah. So one of the biggest areas in hospitality is obviously nightclubs um, and that sort of late night live music venues. They've been hit probably one of the hardest for sure. Do you think that they can survive this pandemic? Uh, I think they can, but they need further government support. Um, I don't think anyone sat around the table is sat there uh, thinking that something's not going to come. I believe Wednesday next week, there's an announcement of further support from Rishi Sunak. Um, we've uh, just, I think we've got just over 1,600 e uh, email letters that have gone to uh, local MPs that have gone to the Chancellor yep. asking for an extension of provision. Um, I think there's two things that need to come out of this. They need the provision to support them up until the point of re-engagement and they need a clear roadmap 
um, and they need to get rid of the uncertainty. If we can achieve both of those and give people confidence that they can survive and have some sort of financial buffer, um, as well as understand when they can open, then they can communicate appropriately with not only their customer, but also their staff, and then they can financially plan. If we can get all that in place, which is what we're aiming to get done, then um, yes, they can survive. But it's like you say, we need to understand the timeline. If we're talking after, you know, after Christmas, then I think we're going to lose a lot of businesses. Mm. Uh, if we're talking um, August, then I think people will hold out and they'll they'll do their best to get to that point. I think that the the bitter pill to swallow is a lot of these people have had to compromise their financial position to keep their businesses going over a decision that was not made by them. It was mm. outside of control. Mm. Um, you know, and as you can appreciate, I mean, if you've got to take on a £250,000 loan so that you can get past a position which the government has enforced upon you, it's kind of very difficult to, especially if you spent 10 years building a business sure. and you've got rid of all your debt and then all of a sudden, because of this pandemic, you're in a position where you're in debt again. Um, you know, it must be the frust most frustrating thing in the world. Um, you know, landlords have been a huge issue for us and we've still got no resolve to it. Um, it I believe that the industry can survive. I think we're going to lose businesses without a doubt. But in some respects, some of those businesses, I think, potentially would have been lost anyway because yeah. of their financial makeup. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to say that lightly because I think that people, you know, there's two kinds of businesses in this industry. There's There's ones that are manage with your heart and your passion and the music and everything else and you do everything to make it survive in terms of compromising yourself which in some respects is not healthy and then you've got businesses which are managed with your head uh, and people are very clear on what they want to achieve um, and they've got a passion for what goes on but they're very sort of sensible in terms of how they, they approach so I think there are some uh, hearts businesses that we could lose without a doubt um, but I think the challenge for the government at the moment is, you know, expediently to try and get as much information out as possible so that they can make concise decisions. Um, the other thing is, I mean, I don't know if you saw this um, radical planning reform um, uh, announcement uh, on the 30th, um, where the government are suggesting that um, there is going to be an opportunity for vacant commercial spaces with a very limited planning uh, submission to be converted into residential. Yeah. So as you appreciate, a lot of businesses out there are mothballed. Uh, they're not paying their landlords rent. Um, as soon as the potential opportunity uh, comes up that the landlord may well want to come out of the hospitality sector because of its uncertainty of and move into residential, Boris Johnson has just opened the door for them to do that. Uh, a lot more efficiently without having to go through the hoops and uh, uh, that would normally sort of precede that position. So we're, we've recently just, you know, put something else, you know, concerned that uh, that radical planning position could mean that there are businesses lost to landlords who want to redevelop into residential, um, which is, is where some of our concerns are. So there's, there's lots of things going on in the background that I think, um, you know, that are do concern us and, you know, for the better will of that, I mean, look, landlords, some landlords are fantastic. They've been really good, but you know, you've got 50% of the landlords clearly through surveys and things that we've done are just not playing ball. 
yeah. and then not allowing people the opportunity and not sharing the burden, um, which means that everyone's just sat there and they're just getting bills saying, I want my next you know, quarter's rent. So uh, it's, a, it's a big challenge for everybody at the moment and, and it's frustrating. I mean, you know, I've had so many, and you've got to remember the human element to this. I mean, the pressure that people are under, you know, the government have actually, you talk about well-being and mental health. I mean, imagine if you were a nightclub owner in this environment, yeah. pubs and restaurants are opening, but you can't open because you're a nightclub. And, you know, you put your heart and soul in, you've got your house on the business, you know, and there's no uh, provision that's out there at the moment that gives you clarity. There's no roadmap. You know, you're almost lost. You've got your staff phoning you, you've got your landlords phoning you, you've got your creditors phoning you, you, you know. Yeah. Think of the immense amount of pressure that's in this situation that is, you know, um, that the government needs to resolve and, and if they don't then you know they're, they're compromising people uh, and that's that's a bit that we're trying to get across the human element definitely with a lot of the press that we're doing at the moment we're trying to allow people to understand how challenging this is um, and I mean I, even that IOL uh, keynote that I did on the five stages of grief I mean I had you know five or six people email me saying I just I didn't realize how bad it was mm. Um, which was a bit of an eye up and they were from licensing officers and things like that. And they just turned around and said, you know what, I'm not going to send out these standard emails. I'm actually going to pick the phone up and speak to the people. You know, so I think if we can affect people in that way, I think it's good, but we, we definitely need to work collaboratively. We can't be all sat in a boat saying, this is my job. This is what I do. If you do it wrong, I'm going to catch you out. It's got to be, uh, you know, put your hand across the divide and operators the same because sometimes operators just shut up shop and sit in their house and go, I don't want to talk about it. If I ignore it and get on with it, maybe they won't visit me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the other element to this that you've got to be slightly concerned about. So everyone's got to start communicating more effectively and then we'll be able to get through this together. There, yeah. You made some great points there that some of the uh, club owners that I know, I mean, a more realistic date for opening is probably September, end of September. This is what they're working to and you know it seems like a long way away but you know when you've waited this long i suppose you don't want to be shut down straight away again by by uh you know a second wave or something like that so you know let, let's wait and see on that and, and i agree with your point on landlords there there are some really good ones um and there are some really bad ones so let's hope that that we can have some sort of clarification on that let's move on to a bit about you then uh, michael what um what makes you tick? Why do you do what you do? You speak very passionately. You know, what, what inspires you? Uh, I, I think the thing about it is I've pretty much done every job that there is in this sector from sort of, uh, you know, festival promoter to, you know, independent promoter to, you know, bar staff, etc. So I, I think the thing is, is it's given me so much probably as a character build. It's allowed, it's allowed me to sort of develop as a person and, and deal with some of the things in front of me. I don't think if I hadn't experienced the things that I've experienced in this industry, I wouldn't have been built to do what I do today. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I mean, I'm 47, but I, I still talk like I, I understand culture and music and these sort of things. And I'm having comparable conversations with, uh, you know, my 21-year-old and, and my sort of 15-year-old who's talking about TikTok and all the different sort of technologies. So I think the link that I have here is I have a passion for music. Um, uh, I, I'm, you know, I've got an obsessive nature anyway. Um, I, I love the idea of uh, entertainment and people coming out and enjoying spaces and environments which are curated and 
and built by entrepreneurs. I love the fact that you're mixing with day-to-day -day some people who are so forward-thinking, both technology and experiential-wise, that it keeps you quite young. So um, I think as I get older, I may well take a step back, but I'll still absorb as much as I can in terms of youth culture and music and still try to identify and understand you know, how things are being built. I may at times still sound like my dad, but, uh, uh, and, and I'm sure my sons will uh, remind me of that, you know, frequently, but the fact of the matter is, is it, it does keep me young. Um, I absolutely love that. And it's like you say, when you've got an obsessive nature or when you're someone who's very driven, um, it helps to have such a fast moving environment. Um, and if you think about our industry is, is so fickle around its subjects, music, fashion, and people. I mean, you can't get a more fast moving yeah. <laughs> subject headers um, to sort of engage in. So, yeah, I just, I've just always been in it, always enjoyed it. My, my wife is submerged in it. My son is, you know, constantly yeah, all of all of the children that I have are, are absolutely sort of immersed in music and culture. So, you know, whether they're playing instruments, I mean, my son plays the guitar and the piano. Uh, amazingly um you know he's at oxford university um he's doing really well in uh, marketing communications he also does some work for the ncia so uh, he's doing fantastic my other son's into sort of uh, indie music live science so he's constantly throwing stuff across to me keeping me uh, up to date with what's going on and and the youngsters are uh, yeah, just dragging me through the woods and uh, sort of unwanted walks with the dog normally sometimes when you're just having a real late one trying to keep up with everything. So, uh, yeah, I, I just think it's just about just being around that energy and keeping yourself young and, you know, and that passion and obsessive nature that I have within, inherent in my personality allows me to sort of engage in it and keep on top of it. So that's, that, that's how I'd probably sum it up in, it, in yeah. a word. It's, uh, so you're, you're building a... a, a a family empire in the hospitality industry by the sounds of things well i did hospitality you know music culture i mean there's, there's so many different things angles to come in at from this i mean we've, we're just doing some big work on uh, equality and diversity we're doing some big work on uh, well-being and mental health with uh, uh, jenny cochran from uh, get ahead uh, used to be part of aei um, uh, and we're looking at sort of sector specific uh, mental health issues, things like uh, men within mental health, uh, particularly uh, things like door security, uh, where um, you know people are finding it very difficult to sort of share or take an active part. Um, equality and diversity with things like Black Lives Matter, LGBT community, women within our industry are some key sort of headers that we're working on at the moment. And so we, we've, you know, we're 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 trying to embrace a more sort of considered human position as well as an industry position so um but the big the big thing that we're sort of definitely focused on at the moment is uh, is is music uh, uh and the cultural element i mean we, we've just establishing hashtag safe nightlife as a charity um, which is going to be uh, focused on consumer-led sort of music fashion people um and uh and then we're going to run that alongside uh the ncia which is an industry-based organization for lobbying politics etc so um we're just just setting ourselves up in a slightly different way um and we've got some big projects coming up soon with um 
some investment companies looking at uh, redevelopment of the hospitality sector through some bigger investors, um, which could, you know, mean uh, massive steps in terms of balancing the books in terms of ethical investment in hospitality. Um, so, we, we, you know, there's there's a lot going on. There's some exciting projects out there. Um, yeah. that people, I think the frustrating bit is for me is I, I can talk to you for a full day on all the things I get presented with on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but you know, when out of 10 of them, only two of them are really come to fruition yeah. because it really is about the people around the table and how driven they are to get things done. So that that's you know that that's exciting for me. There's there's I love the project management. I love developing people. The team that I've got that I work with are fantastic. Very lucky. Very on top of things. Um, you know, from PR through to Silvana, who manages all the ops side of things. And you know, without them, I just wouldn't be able to even achieve anywhere near uh, what what we've done in the last three months. Without a doubt. Well, talking about achievements, I mean, you, you really came on my radar when, when this whole lockdown thing started. But, you know, I've been tracking what you're doing and you are doing phenomenal things. So you should give yourself and your family a big pat on the back. I know the wife gets involved a lot as well. So, um, you know, so you've got a great team there. Michael, if people want to get hold of you after this show, because I'm sure they will do, there's going to be venue owners out there. There's going to be people in the industry that just want to tap into that knowledge bank. Um, how can they do that? Uh, I mean, they can email us directly. Our website is www.ntia.co.uk or you can email me directly just at michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, uh, at uh, ntia.co.uk. Um, happy to take that. Um, if you drop me a mail, it's probably easier. Phone is not always the easiest way to get hold of me, as you can appreciate. Um, but yeah, happy to take any any emails across. And, uh, you know, I get back to people normally within 24 hours. So uh, and if I don't, then uh, Silvana is is pretty much on board with everything. So uh, she knows where I am and what I'm doing. Uh, but yeah, no, I welcome anyone who's got any questions. I've, you know, this this time in particular, I mean, there's a lot of people ask me, you know, is this just for members? And I'm like, listen, we've got to take our hats off at the moment. Forget about membership. Mm -hmm. Let's just look at the industry as a whole. If you need some support, pick up the phone, drop me a mail, and I will try and help as much as I can. If I can't, then I'll find someone who will be able to but you know, this is, this is about us sticking together. It's not about, you know, whether you're part or not part. I, I don't really want to have that discussion because I think at the moment, everyone just needs the help that they did. And, you know, after this, if people decide that we're, uh, you know, we're, we're a body that people want to engage in, I want them to make that decision on their own, not something that I've forced or pushed because uh, I want them to join before I give them information. Yeah. You know, just, just, you know, get in contact, talk to me. I'm pretty amicable. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can. Well, you seem like a great guy, and I'm looking forward to meeting you face to face in person very soon. We'll let, we'll have a beer in uh, either a pub down on the south coast or, or somewhere in London. So uh, enjoy Super Saturday, and um, well done and all the good work, Michael. And we'll catch up soon. Thanks for coming on the show. Lovely, thanks, Ian. Really appreciate it. And yeah, no definitely good to that point. Cheers, mate. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Bye bye. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you so much, Michael Kill, for being the first guest of the Posh Cotney podcast season two. I look forward to having that beer with you somewhere in London and uh, well done for all the hard work you guys are putting over this lockdown period. So there we have it, the first show of season two. Now, I'm so excited to tell you that we've just launched Posh Cotney TV, which will be on YouTube and you can watch the full video of that interview if you'd like. 
Also, you can catch that video on our social media platforms later today. Thank you so much for joining us again. I really appreciate the support and I wish everyone the best of luck who is opening tomorrow on Super Saturday, Independence Day, July the 4th. Hospitality is back and I'll see you there. And I'll see you all next week for our next guest. Bye-bye.